Tidy hi, Phil. Hey, 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 neighbour. <laughs> Welcome, listeners, to Super Baby Bros in Movie Land, Season 2, Episode 10. Episode At this point, 10. I should really play this jingle again. 10. We made it to Episode 10. We feel Thank you for listening to episode 10. Woo! <laughs> and that, that makes no sense to That's anyone. a long callback, man. That's, uh, that is literally from episode 10, isn't That's it? That's 50 episodes ago. Yeah, yeah. I think it weirded out a lot of people then. I'm sure it's done the same now, Phil. But Or maybe it's made people smile. Maybe. Listeners, we've got a great show coming up for you. Phil, what are the films this week? Well, rather appropriately, after that jingle, we've got Sing. Sing! And also you've gone see Gold! <laughs> Go! <laughs> oh, sorry, always, isn't it? Yeah. First word, not never. And you've rounded out with the, a film which I've not even heard of. It literally, Phil, you texted Phil, me about Phil. it and I was like... You're obviously not a real film guy. Well, how dare you? How astounding, dare you? Astounding, the Cannes Film Festival, What's guys. it called? Tony Erdman. I guarantee there's a million voices ringing out going... Who? Well, you see, I reckon a lot of people, the name will ring a bell because there's incredibly enigmatic posters up and down the country with a, sort of a blonde girl's head kind of wrapped up in big, furry, Chewbacca-like fur. So it's very enigmatic, and I, I reckon people are excited for this review. There's literally no bells ringing at all. I genuinely... <laughs> This is going to be completely blind for me, listeners, when we review that Well, that's something to look forward to. Uh, And we're also going to do a tiny little thing, which I'm holding hostage for Phil. I'm not telling him what it is because I want to get his own natural reactions. And your emails and tweets. Thanks so much, all of you who've been in touch. And a little, little bit of movie news tune. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, a tiny little movie news story that should be fun to chat about. As always, check out patreon.com slash superbadybros if you're interested in supporting this show. Every tiny bit of support really counts a lot. Now, last week you said it costs as little as uh, one or two cups of coffee a week. It can't. No, no. Did I say that? A I meant week. a month. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's no. a month. It's a month, man. <laughs> I it's do so mean little, a month. Which if you, if, just a little bit you could kick our way would be amazing. It is worth saying that there are some frustrating things about the interface. So one thing that I've learned since is that they put VAT on top of the pledge amounts and stuff so don't be surprised if they add on some extra fees but you know at the same time in a slightly bitter and miserable way be reassured none of that money comes our way (laughs) we get even less than you pledge even though you pay more so anyway check it out there uh that would be great and what else do we need to say phil well i think it's important we mention the rewards because we want to do a really really great little segment on the super baby bros version of the oscars and it'd be great to have some really funny interesting creative things as uh, categories and so we'd love to hear from listeners because you guys are really creative you're very good at these sort of things and pointing us in the right direction so if you've got a funny idea for a category or uh, or somebody to nominate in a funny category and then we could fill it out let us know email us in that'd be great yeah and i'm sorry that we're mentioning this at the start of every episode but we're doing it because we know you guys tune in and out and listen late or you can't listen early can you listen late <laughs> or on time so sorry if you're getting annoyed hearing about it but it is going to be good you know, it's going to be great. Yeah. And the final thing to say, listeners, is uh, if you are also listening to what we've been watching, hope you've been enjoying that show as a little companion piece to this one where we look at films that are not on at the cinema and give you, what is it, four a week? Can we do quick reviews? Four little fun reviews, not too serious, nice and casual, yeah. That is having to take an extended break for the time being. And, and why, why, why is that like? It's all to do with me. Have you got a good reason? Yeah, I've got a really good reason, Phil. I'm having another baby in uh, late Congratulations. February. Not me personally, my wife is, but, you know, I share in that as well. <laughs> and uh, also, I'm just too busy at the moment. There are lots and lots of things in the way. And what we've been watching is great fun, but it's, it's too much time 
just right now. So I'm really sorry. Don't be alarmed by that. Well, there's a little note on that on last Friday's episode as well. But I think I made it sound like I was miserable that I'm having another baby. Please don't <laughs> take that away. I think there was more that there's so much stuff going on in your life right now. It's and I think much. it was bleeding into your enthusiasm. Yeah. So, so listen to that. The episode just gone is the penultimate one. Then we'll do one more to come out this Friday. Uh, and then there'll be a long break. But this Super Baby Bros podcast is not changing at all, is it, Phil? Well, you are going to have a bit of a break when the baby comes, aren't you? Yeah, paternity leave. Yeah, I mean, you can't... I mean, it's a legal, <laughs> like, right, isn't it? Yeah, I think I need to do that. Maybe you could do something on your own, Phil. Mm, maybe I, I, maybe I, I want a bit of a break, too. <laughs> It'd be quite nice to have a little bit of a... I'd love to hear you do one on your own, because you didn't hey have guys, all the gear as welcome, well. Welcome to... I'd be so bad. It'd be really fun to hear, though. Okay, this is enough rambling, isn't it? Have we given all the information? I think we've given all the information in the world. And then some. All right, well, let's get going, shall we? Yep. Super Bailey Bros. Ho! Sorry, what was the name of that um, that singer who did that song, which was like, wah, wah. Oh, isn't that Annie Lennox? Is that Annie Lennox? I think it is, yeah. Walking that... on broken glass. But that's a different, different song. Yeah, I know. That, the why song, I don't know, I, all the only lyrics that I remember are why. When it's said, brilliant. Wah, that's such a classic wah. musical moment. That has been playing in my head for a long time now. And do you want to know why? Yes, Phil. Why? <laughs> it's because... <laughs> While I was watching Sing, all I could think was, why, 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 why? Is Matthew McConaughey in this film? Mm, that's an interesting question, Phil. I mean, what's the basis for that? Because you, I mean, actually, I know kind of, I've heard an interview with him. I sort of know why he is. Maybe we'll come on to it later. Why is Garth Jennings directing this film? Yeah, that is unusual. He's, uh, what is he, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and the Blur videos, Son of Rambo. Why is Reese Witherspoon in this film? Yeah, maybe because she doesn't really get roles anymore. Why is Scarlett Johansson in this film? Do you want me to give answers to these, or is your just why <laughs> is it all animals? Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, let's review Sing, 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 Sing. This film is the new film from Illumination, the Minions guys. Do you want me to do the impression? Illumination. Yeah, yeah very yeah. clever. That's like I'm loving it. They've done it a little vocal style. Oh, it makes me sad though. This is the the same guys who brought you Despicable Me and Minions, and they've used all the cash from that merchandise to produce Sing. This is a new film. It's all about animals in a city that is generic and everywhere in the world. It could be anywhere, but it looks kind of like... New York, right? Yeah. And you've got these wonderful collection of animals, all different types, all dressed in human clothes and all kind of basically acting like humans. And it happens to be that there is a koala called uh, Willie Moon, I think it is. Matthew McConaughey, basically, who is uh, a bit of a theatre fan. He loves the theatre and he's got his own theatre called the Moon Theatre. And he's not doing very well in his business. And he decides, I know what will get everyone involved and interested. We're going to have a singing competition. Right. Let's have open auditions for my little singing show competition thing that I'm going to put on. But lo and behold, there's a bit of a typo error. And rather than it being $1,000, it is $100,000. And the flyers go out. (sighs) Cue the sort of X Factor-esque competition and all these uh, random cast of characters coming in, flooding in to try and be the next superstar all from a typo i didn't see that coming shall we play a little clip which introduces one of the characters this one is played by taron egerton the guy from kingsman yes he is playing and eddie the eagle of course yes eddie the eagle as well he is playing johnny yes a gorilla yeah a gorilla basically that's all you need to know he's an he's a gorilla and he's taron egerton and here he is singing but then he should really be doing something else i wonder what you if you can figure it out from the clip <laughs> very cryptic here we go if i feel that i could be certain then 
I would say the things I want to say to <laughs> Thought I heard someone singing there. Ah, whatever. <gasps> Guys, listen, stay where you are. The cops are in. <laughs> Hold it right there. Go, go, go. Johnny, you were supposed to be keeping a lookout. Sorry, Dad. Why are gorillas bank robbers? Well, now that, Phil, is a question I think many of our listeners will already be familiar with because of the great number of outraged uh, blog articles exactly on this topic. Is there? I wasn't aware of this are at you all. Not? This no. is one of, the, one of the stories that's followed it around. And I think most people are discerning enough to brush it off because it is clearly a mistake, but some people have drawn, you know, racial stereotype comparisons. Oh dear, I didn't. I didn't. Did you were not aware of that? I wasn't aware. I of thought this that's at why all. you brought it up. Well, no, but like, I was just curious. Why? Why would you make gorillas bank robbers? Why are gorillas bank robbers, and why are the other animals not? Why are pigs friendly housewives? And German, and German as well. Yeah. yeah, it's just confusing. This movie confuses the confusion out of me. I don't even know <laughs> how to put it, and the cynic in me is really sad because i think the answer to every single question that i have about why this film is the way it is can you guess what it is is it money is it a question of what's popular basically it's money that's all i can think is this is a way to make money well you and i looked at the we did our review of 2016 and did our top 10 box office whatever it was didn't we and an astonishing number of um, films that are in the top 10 are animal based and this is that basically it's got singing, it's got dancing, it's got lovable characters in all different types of yeah, animals. Yeah. But I find it absolutely infuriating. I think I've told, talked to you about this plenty of times. Yeah, certainly. How much I just, it makes me, my blood boil. Why are they animals? There's no reason for them to be animals. There's no filmic reason. It's just a sort of colourful kids, yeah. And that was mm. just based on the trailer. Having seen the film, there is no reason why they're <laughs> animals. They behave like humans, they act like humans, their world is human-ish. Just make it about humans. But do they make not it... use their sort of animal characteristics to do some classic gags? Not that I could tell. I don't think I could spot a gag in this film. In a weird way, exactly what we're saying about the gorilla thing and how people are saying, isn't this racially suspicious? In some ways, if you make everyone um, animals, then you can get away with doing stereotypes because no animal is going to stand up and say, you're marginalising me. <laughs> so you can pretend that all snakes are sneaky. Do you know what I mean? Like, and you could do things that if you played it with human characters, you could, you, whoa, don't even go there because it's hideous. But no one cares about animals. Yeah, maybe they're trying to get use that as sort of protection, a bit like South Park uses little cartoons to get away with whatever they want. Yeah, yeah, like really tasteless comedy. For me, this film is a failure. It doesn't work for me at all. And yet I can see why this film has been made and I think it's going to make an absolute boatload of money. I well, think it's it already one has. currently at the box yeah, office. Yeah, it does not surprise me at all. The problems for me with the film is it feels wafer thin, wafer thin. The conceit of the film is just an excuse, basically, to have funny-looking animals doing funny little dances and doing little songs that mm. you recognize and it's it's not like their original songs it's not like their songs which are specifically chosen to kind of highlight their animal qualities it is just literally here is a gorilla singing an emotional elton john song and here is an elephant singing hallelujah well <laughs> i think we've got your point very strongly phil but what about the rest of this as a film because obviously in that clip this guy johnny is he he's in some trouble with the law but also he clearly wants to sing is this an x-factor thing 
No, and that is the surprising part of this film, is actually, it's not really that X Factor competition at all. Is it really not? I just don't see how it can't be. Yeah, because the trailers have made it absolutely, and I've seen this trailer a million times now, because of going to see films and things, the trailer makes it absolutely, this is an X Factor film, that's what they want you to get. Isn't that The strange? idea of this competition, it's kind of Simon Cowell-esque. It's not, it's more like, let's get these singers together to put on a one last-ditch attempt at a show to kind of bamboozle and everyone will be happy at the Keep end the of it. Keep the theatre alive. Sort yeah, of sort of. But it, it's kind of using this sort of money value competition to pull them in, but then maybe maybe they'll realise that there isn't really any money there and blah 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 and maybe they'll... Oh, so there isn't actually any money. Well, he, I mean, it was typo, wasn't it? Like, yeah, okay, and he's, okay. he's struggling with his uh, theatre. So the film is different already than you think it is, but that's kind of where the surprises end. Unfortunately, this film is just very, very generic. And it really suffers from the fact that there isn't really a main character. There's right. nobody really that you're rooting for in the in any sort of traditional sense. You've kind of got this guy, these, these bitty stories. You've got this guy who's played by Taron Egerton, the gorilla, who wants to be a singer, but his dad's a bank robber. You've got uh, this elephant character who is really good at singing, but is really shy. You've got a mouse who sort of thinks he's all that. and And it just is so diluted down that you have nobody really to root for and so you end up just not caring about any of them. The closest the film gets to a main character is Matthew McConaughey as this uh, this koala, Moon, who's trying to sort of rescue his theatre and you kind of get a little bit of his backstory, how he want, he, he fell in love with the theatre when he was a kid and he's this has always been a dream. Yeah, yeah. And his dad inspired him to do it and all this sort of stuff. But the film is constantly just skirting around. In fact, there's a sequence where it literally skirts around the city and zooms and goes whoosh, to like some other play- location so you can get that introduction of the character and then it goes whoosh, over to somewhere else. And that is kind of the film as a whole. It just has no focus. But then isn't that sometimes what people really love? Because one of the things that's attracting everyone to this production is the jokes that you made right at the beginning. Because it's loose like that, you've got Matthew McConaughey and Scarlett Johansson and Reese Witherspoon and these mass- like this huge stellar cast. Maybe that's what they want. I mean, it is a massive, almost exactly who you'd want cast list. You've got Reese Witherspoon, Scarlett Johansson, John C. Riley is there. You've got Jennifer Hudson singing. You've got... Matthew McConaughey, more names I can possibly even remember. Yeah, yeah. And yet I didn't feel like any of them really, it just didn't make sense to me why they want to do this film because there's nothing really in any of these characters. They're very generic, very sort of obvious character traits. And it seems to be that this film is a family film that's aimed at children. Well, it's interesting you say that because, and going back to something you also said earlier, Matthew McConaughey went on the Five Live movie show uh, and chatting to Simon Mayo, he said he wanted to be in a film that his kids could watch. He's a family guy and most of the movies Matthew McConaughey is in are, you know, 15s, 18s and a bit awkward. I mean, they made jokes about him watching Magic Mike with his family, <laughs> for example. Whereas this film, he's the star in an animation, a cuddly kids animation. I wouldn't put it past a lot of actors and actresses to think, I need to showcase my voice work because there's a lot of money in that racket. I mean, I if that was the case, fair enough. But then Kubo and the Two Strings, man. Well, I know. Yeah, that's I, I, exactly what I thought as we were chatting. I'm like, what are you talking about here, Matthew, mate? And I thought that was Sean, um, what's his name? George Clooney. But I know what you're saying. As it, all, all I mean is he's done a kid's movie before. It's the money. It's the money. That's the only thing I can think of. Mm. They got boatloads of money from those little minions saying banana. Yeah. And now they're spending it and they're trying to find the next big project. I mean, the previous film that they did, Secret Life of Pets, we reviewed on the show and I thought it was abysmal. I don't know about you. Yeah, no, neither of us liked it. I don't it, think many people did. It was a very amateur, basic story. And similarly, I feel that this film is quite a basic story. 
but it's written by Garth Jennings, who's kind of known for independent projects and live action films that are quite nuanced and bizarre and unique. I mean, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Son of Rambo, different sort of films, but quite well received, I think. Mm. And yet none of that seems to be here. Now, I feel like I've been quite down on the film, so I'm going to start mentioning a couple of positives just to give a little people some breathing room. There are a, one or two things that I think work well. There's these little Japanese red panda girl band things. Right. And they every for whatever reason, they don't understand the fact that they're they're not in the show. So they keep on popping up and then they play a little CD and they go, happy, happy. And in kind of like a Japanese <laughs> that sounds quite funny. pop version, you know, that's, yeah, 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 and they do. do a nice little routine and it's quite cute. It's quite funny. And they go back to it again and again. That made me smile. It did make me laugh. It made me smile. I right. quite liked it. I thought they could have used that a lot more, but they didn't. The other thing which I thought was weirdly good in this film is there is a sequence where a building, a disaster happens. I'm going to put it like that. And it's amazingly well staged and shot. And I thought, whoa. And I, genuinely, from my sort of stupor of like, this is the most bland thing I've ever seen. Suddenly I was like, oh, whoa, whoa. What's going on? Suddenly something's actually <laughs> happening. And it's quite exciting. It was quite good. And I don't know what. That's whoa. cool. And it was shot really nicely. It's staged really well. And it's the camera sort of swirls and follows as these characters deal with this horrible little situation that's developing. And it was just this weird little oasis of good amongst a lot of beige. Blandness. Well, I think you, you put your finger on it, Phil. It's illumination. It's a money spinner. So that a lot of creative people's hands are going to be tied because I don't doubt there's a lot of research that's gone into how to make it profitable and successful. Maybe what you're reacting to is an example where they said, well, we need to have a little high point and you just do your thing because you can't sort of control a thing like that. You need the director to, to have his flair. and Exactly. So maybe it's just Scott Jennings did a great job when he was able to. I don't know. It seems like they were kind of were just throwing money at this project. And if they're throwing money at it, you'd think a director would be able to kind of just do what he wanted and mm. it'd be okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't have much more else to say on the film. I think it's quite obvious I wasn't a fan of it. I think I'm probably going to give it a C. Really a C, that low? For me personally, I don't think it's got any of the charm that animation should have and could have. And even the concept, I don't think it really delivers on. It doesn't, like you say, it doesn't use these animals to tell jokes or have any sort of funny extra bits. It's just literally a really bland singing competition, save the clock tower, whatever it is, with animals. And that's it. Okay. Now, Phil, I think we should put in one alternative perspective. And unusually for us, uh, because of the way we do things, we're almost like prepared in this case. We've had a, a listener email in who's already seen Sing and would like to offer their thoughts. Do you want to hear those here? Yeah. Who's the listener? Uh, this is from Mr. Khan. Mr. Khan. Hello, Mr. Himself. Khan. He says, if you think you know what this film is from the trailer, you're almost certainly 90% right but you'll probably be 10% wrong as well. I was right to expect classic talent show cliches, but the plot is not stuck with that. Stereotypes, yes, but not just tick-boxing. The surprising strength for me was how well portrayed the physical characteristics and movements were within totally caricatured creatures. The gentle tremor and unsteady walk of an old lady, inverted commas, crocodile. The brilliantly incongruous sad and crying face of a teenage girl porcupine trying to sing Call Me Maybe, which made me laugh out loud. Was that funny? I don't even remember that bit. <laughs> no. And the voice acting was superb from every character, but most especially Matthew McConaughey and Scarlett Johansson. In some ways, there was nothing that hadn't appeared in other films like The Muppets. There you go again. But it was all done with such directness and energy that it felt very fresh. I've never seen an animated time-lapse effect quite like the building scene near the end of the film. Is that what you're talking about? No, that's a different moment, but that is a great... I noticed that as well, and I think that is a quite good 
It was a surprising choice of technique. Well, he says it had the curious effect of making the animation seem somehow substantial. Very clever. Yeah, it's weird because you think it almost bizarrely looks like more effort from the animators to do that than if they just... I don't know. It's, it's hard to explain, but it is a, well, I did notice good. that. I mean, there's not that many avenues left in CGI animations, and you've already hinted there are two scenes there that are quite standout. And what's interesting about those two scenes, I think you can tell that Garth Jennings has had a live-action background. Right. It's almost like you can see he's approached it in a practical way, even though it's a CGI world. Fascinating stuff. Okay, and we've got a PS here. He says, I think Mrs. Khan, who we must have seen it with, felt the same way, but she's getting a good night's sleep instead. <laughs> uh, and he's got another note there on Haxel Ridge, but we will add that to the email segment where it belongs. Okay. Well, I'm glad I'm glad Mr. Khan enjoyed it. I'm, I'm afraid I can't agree. There we go. All right, thanks, Phil. Movie news. Movie news. Ben Affleck has stepped down as director of upcoming superhero flick, The Batman. Surprising, yes. And you're you're wanting to talk about it, I'm guessing, because you reviewed his most recent directorial film, mm. which you didn't like, and it seems to be absolutely dying at the box office. It's not doing well at all. Well, I was reviewing the box office figures, because Phil, I'm ta- on BBC Radio Oxford later today, so listeners, check that out in the past. <laughs> uh, and um, Live By Night last weekend took zero at the UK box office. What? I know. Yeah, that's terrible. Zero. Zero. Yeah, it's worrying, isn't it? But yeah, I just thought it's interesting, isn't it? It's unusual for that high profile a director and that high profile an announcement to for it to be a complete U-turn because he's like they're almost hanging their hopes, the DC hopes on him because people like Ben Affleck. They thought that him directing his Batman film is going to be a good thing. Maybe it's one of the reasons they were going to stick with it in the first place. And now he's gone. It's like, whoa, it's, are all the rats fleeing the ship? I mean, he said, I've read some articles talking about this story, and he said he's not going to leave the character, and he says the reason he's, he's stepping down is because he, he, in order to be able to do the character well, he, he's got to be able to focus. And I think there may be some truth to that. I'm, I'm, I hear what you're saying, and maybe the studio's lost confidence and said you need to step down. Mm. But I think maybe it is just, this is a huge action blockbuster. He's just done a directorial film, written it, and all that sort of stuff. And maybe he's thinking, actually, I just want to be the actor in this film and not have the pressure of directing it as well. It's possible. He may be thinking, you know, at this stage in his career, he needs to come down on one side of the fence and be known as a great actor you can depend on into in his advancing years or one of these auteur director types who might start to take on better projects. And maybe it's another thing where if he's not in the film, he's a better director. Possibly. One thing I saw him say was that the Christopher Nolan Batman films are the best superhero movies ever made and he just felt he couldn't do them justice because it's the, t- the bar is too high, which is a really that's odd worrying. thing to that's, say. That's just fearful, isn't it? <laughs> I know, and it's a really worrying and weird thing to say when it just, someone else is going to have to step in and take the mantle away. And he's in the film still. Exactly, and he's, he's just said it's a poison chalice, <laughs> basically. So, uh, yeah, it's a very strange story. And that was it, really. i just interested to know your thoughts. It's interesting that it, this story is coming out and maybe this has been in the pipeline for a while. I don't know because the Lego Batman movie is about to be released next this Friday month. yes and maybe they're thinking let's let's sweep it under the rug just as there's loads and loads of articles about Batman Lego Batman so when people google it or whatever they won't hear anything about Ben Affleck that's very possible or they should have waited a little bit longer yeah <laughs> maybe a little bit strategic but I don't know I'm he was the best bit of Superman versus Batman. Yeah, I liked his Batman. I thought he did a good job. Listeners, let us know. Does it, do you think this is bad news? Does this spell the end for the DC superhero expanded universe, which I wouldn't be sorry to see die? <laughs> or is it the end of Ben Affleck? No, be he'll be sad. around forever, surely. Well, he's had major, major career dives, hasn't he? And he was on the up and up. But he's always bounced back. Mm. 
And mm. as I said in my review of Live by Night, in a very poisonous manner, uh, rich people, famous people have a lot of money and a lot of friends. I'm sure there's a way back in for him. <laughs> well, there you go. Movie news. <laughs> Not a very cheerful one, but there we go. We're reviewing gold! Gold! We can't do this. (laughs) Phil said, do you want me to say gold whenever I say the title of this film? And I said, I think that would drive people crazy. Well, let's see. (laughs) No, 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 no. no. So we'll try very hard not to uh, make jokes about that as I review gold Matthew McConaughey's new film. Now, Phil, you've seen trailers for this already, and I'm afraid, listeners, in a minute we're going to have to play the trailer because there have no clips have been made available to us. Uh, but what did you make of it based on the trailer and what you've heard? And can you stop looking at the <laughs> newspaper review? Well, I was going to say, Phil. well, I read a recent critic. <laughs> Let me just read out your own review. It's not helpful. <laughs> Sorry. I'll, I'll, do you, maybe, like, well, maybe I should have left no. it. It would have been funny. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, the big thing is Matthew McConaughey is fat. Which do you think that is the big thing? And balding, of course. Matthew McConaughey, yeah. Really good film, yeah. <laughs> but honestly, what else? What did you think of the film? I think it looks like quite serious, quite intense. One of those sort of borderline business entrepreneurial, are they going to make it big and get get out with the get out with the money or is it going to all come crumbling down? Mm. That sort of thing. You see, I think that it's been slightly mistrailered. I think it's been slightly missold. And ultimately, I think it's been slightly miswritten, mishandled, this film. So it's about a fictional guy called Kenny Wells. That's the fat balding... I thought it was based on a true story. Well, let me me carry on. Kenny Wells, uh, he's the fat balding guy that Phil was talking about. Matthew McConaughey is brilliant. He really transforms and he has a good sort of wild, desperado, desperate kind of look to him the entire film. And this guy, his dad owns a gold company. His dad dies, leaves him the gold company and it does really badly. So he's having a lot of trouble. He's calling around trying to get investment companies to fund digs and things like that, but not having much luck. And then he hears about this guy, Michael Acosta, who is being played by Edgar Ramirez, uh, who you may or may not remember from Joy. He plays uh, the husband who lives in the basement, the ex-husband. Yeah, he's one of those actors who pops up in lots of little mo- little moments in films, but he's not a big-time actor, is he? Well, he may be after this one. So he plays uh, this kind of super cool gold archaeologist guy, and they, they, they give him this... Well, I don't quite know how to describe it. Uh, he's like an expert. He really feels the gold in these undiscovered areas, and he just has a good sense for it. He knows how to bring people together and organise a dig. And so Kenny reckons it's his last chance. He's heard that Michael Acosta recently has fallen on hard times because some people haven't believed him so well. Some stuff he's done hasn't turned out. And yet Michael Acosta's got this theory that there's this ring of fire, this big, huge motherload of undiscovered gold somewhere in Indonesia. Kenny Wells is like, that's it. I'm going to bet my last dollar on this. So he leaves his girlfriend, waitress, bar waitress, girlfriend, Bryce Dallas Howard, uh, playing Kay, flies straight over to Indonesia, meets Michael Acosta, and they start this harebrained scheme to do a dig. Uh, And in the process of it, things go really, really badly. Kenny Wells looks like he's even might be about to die from malaria. Stuff goes terribly wrong. and, uh, And he sort of ends up passing out. And while he's passed out, Michael Acosta does everything he can to convince the Indonesian locals to keep working on the mine even though the money's running out Uh, and then eventually as you heard from the trailer there or you will hear from the trailer in a minute uh, 
It turns there's gold. Apparently, there's an incredible gold mine. It may even be the biggest gold find of the century, or something like that. So all of a sudden, this desperate guy in this desperate situation becomes the key holder to something that all the investment banks want,、uh, that all these other big gold、uh, mining corporations want. He has stumbled across literally buried treasure that、a、everybody wants、mine. a piece of. Yes, Phil, he struck it lucky and struck it big. Choose a line from the article that <laughs> you were just reading.、Uh, should we play the trailer? Yes. Get a feel for it、uh, with this, listeners. It was April of '88. I lost my house. I lost everything. Where would I be without you? Sitting right here. I had a dream, like I was being called. I was a gold calling. Indonesia was booming. Mike, what are we talking about? You know it's still out there. There you go. They're really sort of playing it up in the trailer. There is this kind of what was it he said at the end? A little gold changes everything. Yeah, almost like a criminal sort of thing. Yeah, right. And、uh, the flashes that you won't have heard on the trailer, there, listeners, that have text that come up, and it says "inspired by true events," which is what you picked up, isn't it, Phil? Now,、right. I can't emphasise how much the word "inspired" is important. In that sentence, because what this is loosely tied to, but not directly tied to, for legal reasons as well as cinematic reasons, is a mining scandal、uh, with a company called Brex, B-R-E-X, and you can find out all about that on Wikipedia. Although I recommend not doing that if you're going to go and watch this film. Did you? Did you wait? I did. I certainly、anything. did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I'd been given the press notes、uh, as I went into the screening this time round, so I'd sort of already. Yeah, anyway, don't, right, right. don't look it up. But the situation there. It was a Canadian company. The people's names are completely different. The situations are completely different. They have clearly just borrowed moments and events and ideas and stitched together their own faux biopic, basically. What akin to maybe the Social Network? No, not akin to the Social Network because that's at least still based on Mark Zuckerberg. It would be like the Social Network if it was instead a Johnny Bradshaw and、uh, he created a website called People. Uh, people facts, <laughs> you know what I mean, and and then they just invented all this stuff. Like it, it's not, it just isn't a true story. And there's something about that that becomes really irritating because of the style of filmmaking here. Because the thing is, if it's not true and if it's just made up, then I don't care that much about、yeah. some about some of the things that they've done. There's a way, it's a weird sort of thing that happens when you know it's actually true. Then you kind of think to yourself, "No way, was it really like that? Did, was the、mm. guy really? How can someone do go somewhere this extreme when it's made up? You're just like, well, 
it's a made-up story. Like, what's the... I don't care. Do you know Like, <laughs> Yeah. And it, so it already loses some of its weight there. And then the sensationalist approach to the filmmaking gets completely mislaid because, actually, this movie plows a furrow right down the middle of The Wolf of Wall Street and then The Big Short. So oh, it, right, okay. it tries to be as cheerful and funny and cynical about corporate culture as The Big Short, but actually it isn't funny or cynical enough. And then it sort of hints at the idea of decadence of The Wolf of Wall Street, people who get suddenly incredibly wealthy and wield a lot of power, but he doesn't really have any decadence. Like The closest it comes to it is staying in the penthouse at the Waldorf Astoria. And that's kind of, when you look at the, what The Wolf of Wall Street contained, it's not, mm. even, it's not even on the same page. It's just, no, yeah. So that, they complete, I think basically with all the potential they had, all the possible goals and weight they had, they just went the wrong way about nearly everything. The only stuff they really get right are the actors and the performances, because I think Edgar Ramirez is fantastic. This guy, Michael Acosta, is very charming and enigmatic, but turns out to be quite mysterious and a bit different than you think. And he just plays that brilliantly. You believe he's this kind of real-life Indiana Jones guy for large sections of the film, and then you also believe that he's got some kind of weird inner steel that allows him to be a, like a panther in, in the boardroom, for example. Like it's, it's, and then uh, also Matthew McConaughey is brilliant as this fictional guy, Kenny Wells. Is he? Do you he, not think he's phoning in his sort of dramatic Matthew No, 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 no. He's so good. I thought he was brilliant. Maybe it's I haven't seen him in enough films. But he combines a lot of different things, yes, that he's done before, but into this one character who's just this horrendously frenzied, nervous wrecking ball of energy, basically. And he, lo- he really seems unpredictable and loose and wild. And is that fun to watch? Because some Sometimes when you see a sort of train wreck, it's a bit like, I don't, I don't really want to spend time with this person. Well, the thing is, it would be more like that. It would be difficult if the film was true, but it isn't. So because you know it's not really real, actually, it's kind of fun to see the guy hit rock bottom because you know it's all a fantasy. Right. Like, okay. it's okay. And, and he does it very well at every different stage. Bryce Dallas Howard is also good, although her role is completely and utterly underwritten and in, any, in many ways a slightly cringeworthy. She just gets used as sort of a dramatic doormat. Do you know what I mean? Like to, to show bounce up. off the yeah, other characters. And, yeah, and and I, I like Bryce Dallas Howard, but she also um, rather like Toby Kebbell, who is also in this film, seems to just not quite land the right role uh, for her dramatic potential. I think Toby Kebbell plays. Oh well, I won't tell you who he plays actually, uh, because that yeah, ooh mysterious. Ooh. But he does a pretty average job again. <laughs> Poor Toby. Poor Toby. <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah, so it's just a funny mix of things that ultimately I I thought really let me down. Like there are some flashpoints in it that really should be super exciting. Like there's a scene in which Matthew McConaughey to demonstrate his character's, uh, for want of a better word, stones, <laughs> uh, walks into a cage that has a live tiger in it. And he has to pat it on the head. Right. This is one of those moments where if, if that was real, then you'd be like, whoa. But it's not real. It's made up. It's so it's one of those moments that should be really memorable and impressive and be like, wow, that's so cool. But instead, it's just a bit, well, OK. And because the direction around it is just really muddled. So is it that this film is directed as if it's a true story, but it's not? And so therefore, it doesn't have the, the protection, the kind of varnish of not having to justify itself. It doesn't itself. have the buy-in. It doesn't engage you at that level. And yeah. then, so that's one problem of the film. And then is there the other problem of the film, which is it's just not very well done? Yeah, both. I think they're both true, unfortunately. I, I think they I think they shot for the moon or shot for three moons, put it like that. They wanted to do True Story, they wanted to do Wolf of Wall Street, they wanted to do The Big Short, missed all three of them. Uh, was it As Nora Jones would say, shoot the moon, miss completely. Is that moving? 
Uh, a bit strange. <laughs> uh, so yeah, disappointment for me. Will the actors come out unscathed? Do you think then? Definitely. I think they all give it their all, and that's obvious. Like the performances are quite strong. The script is quite bad. Uh, you know, and the, uh, the director is this guy Stephen Gagan or Gagan. Do you recognise the name? No, what films have you been involved in? So he's directed Syriana, which caused a bit of a stir a while ago. There are some similarities there, because that's the oil thing. Oil, George Clooney. And yeah, it's yeah, exactly. Of, yeah. And that was a lot about corporate culture as well. But actually, he's better known as a writer, an Oscar winner screenplay writer. He which wrote is? Traffic. Oh. Exactly. But he doesn't write this. He directs it instead. It, actually, the guys who wrote this are Patrick Massett and John Zinman, a stellar duo who have brought us such treasures as uh, Lara Croft Tomb Raider starring Angelina Jolie. But then yeah, now, now you'll not be happy with me. They also wrote many uh, episodes of Friday Night Lights, the TV series. Great show. Yeah. But interestingly, what's funny about... i got to stop telling facts about Friday Night Lights in a movie podcast, but mm. Friday Night Lights is great because they let they kind of... They constructed the scene's direction and then gave it to the actors to kind of write the dialogue themselves. Oh, so it's a very so actually, light writing job. Yeah, it's okay, just like well, the plot points. So that I think that maybe explains it. I think the screenplay is all over the place and I think the direction is just kind of a bit average. It just, it's just not very exciting. Scenes that should feel powerful, like those ones I described, just, just aren't there. And then there's also something really odd I noticed, and I don't know whether this is because I saw a screening of it, maybe it's different from the theatrical cut or something, or whether this is just a thing that's happening in cinema with 4K screens. But there were certain scenes that felt out of focus to me. It's really... Have you come across this film? We've got a massive screen in there, people are using depth of field a lot, and instead it just looked grainy and fuzzy, like they hadn't focused the shot properly. Do you know how they... If they're doing focus pulling, that's that's an actual job for cameramen, and it's literally a guy stands next to the camera and adjusts it, like... It's kind of like an art form. It's not technical because it's focused and it kind of... Yeah... I think basically you've got really good projection now. And so any sort of fault in that area gets really highlighted. Well, I had never noticed it quite as much as I have in this film. So all in all, I think nothing was firing right behind the camera, but it was on camera. It was pretty, pretty solid stuff. So, you know, I can't really recommend it, listeners. I think it's a confusing experience, but not totally unenjoyable. And there is something right at the end of the film that pulls a lot of it into focus uh, but if I can again quote myself, Phil, in an embarrassing way, it makes the rest of the film that you just watch feel like you were drunk the whole time and not in a good way. So by the time it comes into focus, it's like it comes with a hangover. <laughs> do you see what I mean? I do see what you mean. Yeah. Now, can I ask you one question, which I think yes. is going to be important? When did you find out that this wasn't really a true story? Uh, afterwards, yeah. Afterwards. And so is it that afterwards you felt a bit betrayed or is it during the film you felt this I isn't think good the thing is, if and it then was this true, explained it why? If it was true, you'd forgive it a lot more. At the time, I thought, oh, this feels a bit weird. This feels a bit too long. The pacing's weird. The staging's odd. Something's amiss as I was watching it. And afterwards, when I discovered it's not really based on it, it just made it all the worse because mm. you kind of forgive it some faults uh, because, you know, there's only so much you can do with real events. Anyway, I've gone on too long, Phil. For me, it gets a uh, a C plus, I think. Ooh, it's ooh. it's not good, but McConaughey is is good in it. Any bonuses? Well, there is one scene in it that I just thought was wonderful, and because it was so odd, and actually other people with me in the screening chuckled as I did because it's so you don't tend to see scenes like this. But this overweight McConaughey, and he, he really does a good job, slightly balling as well. When they first discover that they're gonna, you know, there's money in these mines. He takes Bryce Dallas Howard, his long-time, I think, girlfriend in the film, it should have been wife in real life, takes her to this massive savannah-like field in a valley. It's beautiful. It's like a scene from a totally different film, a romantic comedy. And he gets out, 
And he starts literally running and skipping and frolicking, describing to her where their bedroom's going to be and where the kitchen's going to be. And getting really excited. Yeah, exactly. And he's, <laughs> this balding overweight McConaughey just bouncing around with his massive wild grin on his face. It's just so, it had a weird kind of lurid, crazy joy to it that I really quite responded to and laughed at because it was so odd, but it can't make up for the rest of the film. It's a shame that you don't get to see more bellied men enjoy their lives. It's true, it's true, yeah. And he's an interesting character. If only he was a real guy, it would have been so much more interesting. Phil, are you ready for a a mini-segment that probably won't work? Always. As I said earlier in the emails, oh no, maybe it's later, I don't know whether emails would have come... Oh, goodness sake, sorry. You're a producer, man. (laughs) I know. As I said earlier, uh, if you're not innovating, you're stagnating. So here's an innovation for us, Phil. Right. Um, do you know how people often talk about screenwriting as a sort of holy grail if you're a writer? And to be a screenwriter, you've really got to be good at what you do. Very technical. Exactly. Very technical, but you've got to have a way with words. You know, I'm involved in doing some writing at the moment, listeners, professionally, and it is a challenge. You've got to be concise and you've got to communicate a lot and you've got to be interesting and you've got to write well. You can't, can't make grammatical errors. You can't make spelling errors. Show, don't tell. Exactly. You've got to do all that kind of stuff. It's very, very difficult. And so it makes sense that Hollywood screenwriters are at the top of their game. And what could be more dripping with written talent and emotion than a love scene, Phil? Right. And I love speech. Mm-hmm. Don't you think that they must represent the pinnacle of what it means to be a writer? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, it's the high, high drama, isn't it? Well, exactly. And so, for example, if you were to have a love speech in a film and you remove the music, the score from it, and p- even remove the performance, right? Uh, then the words themselves surely must communicate something powerful. Are you about to confess your love to me? No, no, that's not the point of this segment, Phil. What I thought we might do instead is run some famous movie love speeches through a sort of special filter that I have created. Uh, I have found a text-to-speech converter that can reproduce uh, movie love speeches, Um, and not only can it do that, it can do it in a French accent as well. Uh, And France being the most romantic country in the world (laughs) A French accent being the most romantic accent in the world I might set that to some sort of generic sort of lovey music Right And then we can assess the power of of the writing Yeah yeah. How does that sound to you? Sounds sounds like a train wreck (laughs) Let's go for it Well, And I thought what we could do is I'll just do one today And maybe if it goes down well we could try another one Because I'm also going to introduce a mini quiz element for you You've got to tell me what the film is, Phil Okay, I'm I'm, I'm Or maybe maybe you should get listeners to tell us what it is Either way, it'd be fun. Let's do it with you this time. And if it doesn't crash and burn horrifically, this feature, then we can get listeners involved next time as well. Maybe they can recommend the love speech. That'd be great. Okay, so let's do this, shall we? Let's. (laughs) When you look in her eyes, and she's looking back in yours, everything fails. Not quite normal. Because you feel strong and wake at the same time. You feel excited. And at the same time, terrified. The truth is, you don't know why you fail, except you know what kind of man you want to be. It's as if you've reached the unreachable, and you weren't ready for it. What? I can't even understand what he's saying. <laughs> do you think that it's the French thing too much? The can French, you... maybe, can we turn the French down just like to 30%? Well, you, I'll do it, let me do it this time. If that didn't work, because he does pronounce some of the words incorrectly. Normal. <laughs> Uh, shall I try it in uh, um, it's already ringing bells in my head about what movie it is let me do it with an English accent and we'll see whether the lovey-doviness remains okay when you look in her eyes and she's looking back in yours everything feels not quite normal because you feel stronger and weaker at the same time you feel excited and at the same time 
terrified. The truth is, you don't know what you feel, except you know what kind of man you want to be. It's as if you've reached the unreachable, and you weren't ready for it. <laughs> so beautiful. <laughs> what film is that? This is probably it's so beautiful. I just, <laughs> the emotion is so raw. It quite. It, I feel quite inspired. Like Do it, you it, actually? It just, I just want a load of nonsense. <laughs> no, but like. I kind of get what he's saying. Right, This yeah. mis- British. I like British man more than French man. French Did man you? sounded creepy. Did you? <laughs> I thought that was going to be more romantic. I, for France whatever so reason, I'm trying to pick to the... Is it a man saying it to a woman? Yeah, yeah. When you look in her eyes, yeah. Is it... I feel like it's a superhero movie. Mm-hmm. Is it Spider-Man? It's Spider-Man. Well done, Phil. I'm really pleased with myself. That is the speech between Peter Parker and Mary Jane at Aunt May's bedside. And even as I watched that, I thought, what is he talking about? <laughs> and she's gazing at him as if it's the most romantic thing she's ever heard. Well, can we play the this, clip? This is why I thought it would work, because if you take away their performances and the music, it's like, what is this that we've been left with? Well, let's see what Toby did with it. Can we play the original, uh, original clip with the... Just to mm. compare... Why don't I see if we can put that in here? Okay, and then that's the end of this segment, really, Phil. Well, Do you think you it works? Was listeners. it interesting to you? Well, let's see, hear what the listeners think. If you think Laurie's onto something and that it's, it's all about the production and the gloss and the packaging, or if actually there is some meaning and romance in these words. Maybe next time we shouldn't laugh uh, and get it wrong. So. <laughs> Normal. <laughs> that made me laugh. Well, there you go. A little experiment for you. Bye-bye. <laughs> when you look in her eyes... And she's looking back in yours. Everything feels not quite normal because you feel stronger and weaker at the same time. You feel excited and at the same time terrified. Truth is, you you don't know what you feel, except you know what kind of man you want to be. It's as if you've reached the unreachable, and you weren't ready for it. You've heard nothing about Tony Erdman, Phil. No, I've just heard the little clip that we played before. Which is all in German, yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I'm none the wiser, now, apart from just the fact we, that it's German. <laughs> just as we did with Gold, the fact that you haven't seen anything about this makes it better. What do you think this film is about, Phil? Have a guess, come I'm on. I'm guessing it's about Tony. Mm-hmm. A guy called Tony. A guy called Tony, okay. A girl called Tony. I'm not saying and anything. <laughs> well, you said a guy. Well, no, so it's a girl called Tony. She's German and... Uh, I'm guessing maybe maybe she's like the centre of some sort of weird web of lies and it, there's misunderstanding and maybe a bit of romance and maybe a little bit of a trickery involved. Well, there are some things you almost got right there, Phil, but on the whole, completely and utterly wrong. <laughs> what yeah. do you want from me? <laughs> That's exactly what I wanted from you. Listeners, I saw Tony Erdman and this film you may have heard of, as I pointed out in the intro, and you may have seen posters for, it's unusual. There are quotes that are all over the poster that say things like, completely nuts, laugh out loud. Like, and there are uh, things I've seen on the internet saying, you still think a German comedy can't be funny? Watch this film. 
strange comments, especially when you have seen the film. So this is by <laughs> it's Maren, a German comedy. <laughs> well, yeah, by Maren Arda. I don't know how to pronounce her name. M A R E N A D E. Interesting filmmaker. She did a film called Everyone Else, and she's known for taking a very long time to finish her projects. So she spent about five years doing this. She, according to herself, shot about one hundred hours of footage, uh, multiple takes like maybe 30 takes for a scene and then chose the best bits. And I can tell you, listeners, the number of long shots in this film makes that no small task for the actors. Imagine having to do a five-minute scene 30 times in a day. That would drive you insane. And she, she's kind of an auteur, I think. Phil, I've talked to you about Joanna Hogg before. Do you remember that? Yep. <laughs> you actually watched a bit of one of her films with me and you and I are both just like, what is this? Is this the one where it's like just super long and they're having like a birthday party and there's nothing real in it at all? Uh, I don't know. Now you're confusing me. She did a film called Exhibition, which is about a middle-aged uh, couple, architect and artist, selling their house. Yeah, that's the one I mean. And okay. like, she's doing like yoga in the like, yeah, or she's yeah, like yeah, hugging the walls thing. and stuff. I yeah, that's right. I was like, how is this a film? I know. Yeah, exactly. And then there was another film she did. I can't remember the name of now, which had Tom Hiddleston in it, starring as a kind of spoiled. Um, Eaton chap it's a stretch isn't it for him and uh, <laughs> uh, and a middle aged lady uh, who is going through a crisis of her own and Joanna Hogg is quite well known in, in UK cinema for being a bit like this she takes a long time between her projects and she has complete creative control because she does a lot of it independently she has very static camera very very long shots and she's interested in the minutiae of day to day life so listen if you are at all familiar with Joanna Hogg I apologise if you're not because this will mean nothing to you this film is a bit like a Joanna Hogg movie that actually uses proper characters and has comedy in it as well. So I know that means maybe nothing to you, Phil. I mean, it gives something of a picture. <laughs> good, that's good to know. This film is about a father, an ageing, divorced music teacher trying to reconnect with his daughter. So on her birthday, he happens to come in and see her. At the time, he's wearing makeup and false teeth because he was involved in a kind of play thing at the school. And everyone's like, why are you wearing this stuff? And everyone seems to, even though it's very odd to us, the audience, people seem to kind of accept that this is a bit of a weird guy. And his daughter is almost the polar opposite. Sandra Huller is the actress, the German actress. Huller, uh, with your <laughs> yes, shoulders yes, going yes, up. Yes, yes, uh, She plays Inez Conradi. She's his daughter. The dad, sorry, is Peter Simonischek, who is a well-regarded Austrian stage actor. He's done film as well. He plays this guy, Winfried Conradi, her father. But her daughter is like this businesswoman, an incredibly successful management consultant working for the firm Morrison's, based out of Shanghai sometimes, but currently in Bucharest, working with an oil company and making recommendations to them about how to streamline their workflows, do outsourcing, blah, 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 blah. And there's this obvious, almost instant disconnect. You're like, well, how is this weird guy who likes wearing false teeth around people as a joke that no one else seems to understand? How did he produce this daughter who's a super slick, super professional person who doesn't seem to have time for anyone and spends most of her time on the mobile phone. And the film really gets going when he hears his daughter say, oh, I can't stay, I'm flying back to Bucharest. When he hears that, he reckons, I'll just go and do that myself. So he hops on a plane to Bucharest, um, arrives at the foyer of her office, wearing his false teeth and sunglasses, and surprises her there and says, hurrah, hey, here I am. I've come to stay for a month. <laughs> Let's a month. Chill out. I know. How would you feel if our oh. dad spontaneously turned up and said, oh, just like, come and stay with you for a month. I mean, we'd have fun, but I think it would be a little bit, yeah, a bit too much. Well, and in this case, you can just imagine the cringiness because the daughter is so professional and she has a very intense job. And a lot of it is to do with making connections and relationships. And so the clip we're about to play illustrates this at work where she 
sort of begrudgingly says to her dad, well, why don't you come along to the American embassy here in Bucharest? I've got to meet with the CEO. Just try not to cause too much trouble, basically. So is this the reverse of Elf, but the German version, and it's critically acclaimed? Interesting point of view. So in Elf, it's the son who comes and annoys the very professional dad. <laughs> yeah. That is a very interesting comparison. I've not heard anyone else make. Way to go, Phil. Yeah, I suppose so, but it's nothing like Elf. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so here's the clip, and uh, I'm going to have to translate, listeners. I do apologise for that. So we're going to get the real dramatic meaning of this scene. Something like that. And this is her dad talking to this CEO that she really really wants to impress while she is across the table talking to the ceo's wife and really doing her best to schmooze and stuff so here we go i'm actually here to negotiate with her she's hardly home anymore so i hired a substitute daughter now comes the question who pays her Boss says that's a modern solution. He says exactly. Boss says, is the other daughter better? The cakes are better, he says. And she cuts my toenails. Oh, no, no. Winfred says, but she's not your daughter, right? Pointing to the guy's wife. Keep up, Laurie. I know, it's hard. And he doesn't react. He just says, have a nice evening. Did you arrange something? Oh, yeah. Everything. I wish you a nice evening too. You too. See you tomorrow. <laughs> She's looking annoyed at her dad. And now she says, he's the CEO I told you about. He's a really important contact for me. Okay, okay. And he says, he said, okay, okay. Now then, Phil... One There's of the no g- <laughs> way you're ever getting a job doing that audio description. Well, it was difficult. You need to get that sort of... Uh, who's that news presenter who does uh, Desert Island Dish? You need to get that sort of warmth in your voice. You haven't got well, that. Well, look, I can do it. I can do it. I just don't think it's appropriate here. Anyway, <laughs> I, one thing you'll notice straight away, which I noticed, was this film liberally swaps between English and German mid-sentence. And I was just filled with a horrendous envy for these people <laughs> who are so bilingual they don't even have to think about it. They did it in that clip. Yeah. We'll never be like that, film. No, we'll just be English instead. Yeah. Now, listeners, I think this film is brilliant, but it's definitely not for everybody. So it's over two hours and 40 minutes. I was going to ask you the wrong time. As soon as you said, oh, it's 100 hours of footage, yeah. I was like, this is going to be bloated. And it, it, it does feel a bit like that at times. But then at the same time, because of the style of the filmmaking, which, as I said, is handheld cameras, very long tracking shots, long conversations, the camera just moves between the people, not cuts, and almost no background music whatsoever, a lot <sighs> of silence. Don't tell you that just yet, Phil. Um, because of the style... It, it, it obviously is trying to capture realism and the minutiae, as we said about Joanna Hogg, of these people. Their faces, the amount of silence they take in between responding to each other. And you forget that when real people talk to each other, there are gaps sometimes. Between... Are there, sorry? I'm not sure. What... <laughs> Me and you, I don't think exactly. That's because sometimes I cut them out. Yeah. It? It's kind of like a one-minute pause. I think of what to say next. Uh, but this film tries to capture all of that, and it goes to extraordinary lengths to try and round out this character portrait. At, it, at its heart, it's very simple. It's a story about this practical, joking, slightly odd dad trying to reconnect with his daughter. And it's about her apparently having a really unhappy life in this corporate world. It's a big critique of globalization and uh, corporate culture. It's obvious from the scenes they have where they discuss laying off people and they discuss manipulating boardrooms and and executives to get them to do what people want, all that kind of stuff. And the weirdest part of it all, and the reason the film is called Tony Erdman, 
is that at one point she's so frustrated with her father, she sends him away, basically, and he makes as if to leave. He gets in a taxi and goes away. Then we see her have a meeting. And then the next day, she goes out for a dinner with some of her workmates, other girl workmates, and who should be sat immediately behind one of her girlmates that she didn't recognise, but her father in a big black wig, wearing his false teeth, assuming the identity Tony Erdman, pretending to be a life coach and businessman. And he sort of insinuates himself into her business life because obviously there's no personal life left to share. So it's, a, it's quite a fun device, isn't it? And so it's Mrs. Doubtfire. A little bit like Mrs. Doubtfire, but much more awkward. It's cringy. People don't know how to respond to this guy. We don't know how to respond to this guy. He's kind of annoying in places. And the situations that sort of arise as she does some seriously professional things like meeting bosses and laying off employees in some places, he's just there being this pretend businessman. I liked it, Phil. I think the acting is terrific. I think they play against each other incredibly well. And Marin Arda has said she took a long time to find actors who had the right chemistry and were kind of believable. But at the same time, I did find it long. I found the comedy very offbeat. And it, it's one of those films where you sort of laugh at it or more than with it. Like one scene and the scene which reportedly had the Cannes Film Festival critics laughing out loud. This one didn't win anything at Cannes, but it had an amazing audience reaction. They laughed out loud and got out of the seats, clap, whatever. It's because Inez at one point sings uh, that Whitney Houston song, Greatest Love of All, which has the line, They can't take away my dignity. Know that one? Not, not at all. Well, it's a famous song, and there's a scene where she sings it, and it's this such a bizarre moment of sort of self-liberation and inhibition that is so out of character with her restrained uh, persona that I think it just made people burst out laughing. And I think that's how they expect this film. All those quotes I read out earlier saying, oh, it's totally nuts and it'll make you laugh, don't go in expecting that. It's way more of a drama and an exploration of people and corporate culture than it is a comedy but the comedy is there, and I laughed as well. <laughs> but I laughed in a sort of non-comprehending way. Uh, there is <laughs> one of the, another big scene that stood out to people is where one character decides to throw a party, and because they can't think of anything else to do and how to theme it, they make it a naked party. And so there is a scene where all these people are sort of standing around naked really confused as to why they're standing around naked and it is and i laughed at a couple of moments because it is just really really awkward and strange who goes to that party well i know but that's exactly it and but there's something really clever about that scene because it's totally unflinching it takes a very long time to do it and you do feel like you're sort of being challenged in in some way it's not immediately obvious what way and and that the characters in the film are sort of learning something about themselves and about humanity blah 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 the things which uh, i'm thinking as you say all these bits and bobs of this film though is whenever you have a long film which is all about trying to reflect reality and all that rubbish you what i always seem to find is the film becomes incidental and actually the moments which are meant to be significant just wash over you because you don't care and you're you nobody has the patience or the intensity to focus and really perceive all those little tiny little micro no you're, you're definitely right phil but i think strangely enough i wonder whether the filmmakers anticipate that a bit she's quoted as saying quentin tarantino makes long films and no one seems to care but isn't that because he makes films with great music and like yeah witty, think- engaging dialogue and there's always somebody's like there's blood splattering everywhere. Uh, yeah, I agree. I don't think it's a wise comparison for her to <laughs> That's make. That's such a poor... <laughs> what a stupid uh, comparison. It's a slightly, yeah, but the thing is, I think because the film is that way, actually, it washing over you is kind of necessary as well because it is plays out at such a naturalistic pace. And oddly enough, I think that just supports all the highlights of the drama. So if, if you've got the time, you don't have to be riveted the entire time. In some ways, you can space out. And, the the dire- and you were saying the director, like, actually, it's not 
it doesn't sort of blink and you miss it dramatic moments. No, it's, no, it's not. It's here not, is now a significant moment. Yeah, that you you, need to you're pay learning to. through moods and moments and atmospheres and locations and that kind of, uh, and it's very, very gentle. I, except one scene in particular, which I, I still can't figure out, and it's very shocking. Be under no illusions, listeners. This is an adult film, and I think it might be the most adult scene I've ever seen <laughs> in a film. I can't explain, I won't go into any detail because it would be simply impossible, but if you watch this film and you're shot by that and you'll know exactly which one it is, let me just uh, hypothesise to you that the director is doing something symbolic, it's about the way that she will not be controlled by men, and in many ways she, she like eats men for breakfast. That's all I'm going to say. Okay, don't worry, it'll make sense to people who've seen what the film. What rating is the film? I don't know actually, I think, it's un- I think it may be unrated, it's being released on Friday, maybe that can't be true, can it? Check on the BBFC. But anyway, in some ways it's not really worth me saying much more, I think it's fascinating fascinating and bizarre it's worth seeing because of the response it's got and the fact that it's nominated as best foreign film at the oscars i, I i'm sorry man i think everything you said makes me not want to see it i'd give it a b i re- i think it, for the kind of film it is it's very interesting and, and odd and it for all i know could be a great introduction to german cinema it did make me think i'd like to watch more german cinema for sure yeah i don't know not for me <laughs> Who's that listener over there? They seem pretty cool and debonair. They're the Pixel Bro. Okay, Phil, let's do emails and tweets. And yes, that was another listener-sponsored jingle, of course. That's great. Thank you very much, Pixel Bro, indeed, for supporting us on Patreon. And I hope everyone else enjoyed that really, really bizarre little bit of audio. I don't even know what to call it. Magic. Yes, Phil, magic. All right, let's speed through these because we've got quite a few. Thanks so much, everyone, for being in touch. First off, Alistair at Superbelly Bros. Saw La La Land. I loved it, loved it, loved it. What a film. A 2017 top five at least. Well, that's that doesn't really surprise me. I think it's one of those films which is either going to be in a home run or just you're not going to get it. I think you're right, Phil. Yeah, nice work, Alistair. Tom Berg got in touch. Hi, guys. It's been a while since my last email, so I thought I'd send some more ramblings for you to ponder. A few friends and I have decided to hold our own mini Oscars. We have a different category every day and each select five nominees including the winner that sounds like a fun household that does sound fun it is fun and indeed very interesting and i'd even suggest the films chosen seem to almost reflect aspects of each of my mates personalities that's an interesting way to get to know people isn't it you don't see mm. employers screening their potential employees with films <laughs> what, what, what's your favorite what's your film, favorite film? <laughs> best editing Go. it's funny isn't it because you probably think that's like an easy question like, oh yeah just chill out what's my favorite film yeah i really love requiem for a dream <laughs> Get out. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, nope. Uh, I was wondering what your take on each of the categories would be. By the way, you can nominate from any year. Now, he's given quite a long list here. I'm tempted to say we should appropriate these for the rewards and give our thoughts. What do you think, Phil? I think that's the only way we could do Tom Bird justice. Can I, I'll read them out to you. So these are things to look forward to, listeners, and I hope you're happy with that, Tom. And some of these are just categories from the Oscars, so I'm going to read out your unique ones, Tom. Best franchise, brackets, three-plus films. Best British film, that's fair. And best feature documentary. I know there is a best documentary at the Oscars, isn't there? Is that I different? there might feature? be, but I mean, I, the only ones I can think of this year is that Louis III one. My Scientology movie. I can't think of any other documentaries that have been awesome. released been in nominated. cinematic form. But that, yeah, those are the original ones that Thomas sent, and, and he's got other things like Best Foreign Language Film, Best Actress, Best Actor, all that sort of stuff. So we'll give you our thoughts on the classic categories as well as the uh, quirky ones. 
A lot of food for thought there, guys, he says, so I'll hold on to the rest of my movie-based mumbo-jumbo until my next email. Plus one to Phil, because he needs it. No, not allowed. <laughs> oh, no, that is true. I really do need it. I'm doing terribly. I don't think you're it's doing because as bad as you think. you're seeing all these big critical films you that you need to be seen. You every time, and you know I had it to watch true. Lion, I had to watch Sing, I had to watch... Yeah, but if people see those and they I agree was the with one your negative review, that's I fine. saw Queen of Catway. Yeah, but people love that film. <laughs> If they saw it, which they didn't. <laughs> no, he saw it. <laughs> he says, always, as always, keep up the good work, guys. Regards, Tom. Thank you very much, Tom. Thanks for the email, Tom. And thanks for the support. And we've got a few here from Cal. Yes, I just remembered in time there, Cal. He says, at Super Valley Bros, Valiant's attempt at my name. Bracket stick with Cal. Thumbs up. Okay, thanks, There we Cal. go. I nearly just made a guess again. Have you two ever watched a Bollywood film? And if not, would you be open to it? I have seen some, well, I'm going to say a Bollywood film that then is going to make probably his eyes roll because it's not a Bollywood film. Do you remember um, Bride and... I know you're going to talk about Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> yeah. That's... And you're going to say Yeah, that. sorry. Yeah. Well, I think it's based on Bollywood's filmmaking, isn't it? But it's not a true... Uh, that Bollywood was the movie. crossover film, I think. That was kind of uh, an attempt to bring over. I've seen bits of Bollywood films, but I've never really sat down and watched them as a whole thing, as a genre. I don't really understand them as a genre, but I'm interested to find out. I've seen some of them on planes when I had to do my glamorous business travel fill once upon a time. I often tuned into a Bollywood movie, but I cannot remember what they were called. But I think the answer, uh, Cal, is that we'd definitely be interested. So we're up for it, which is good because I said that on Twitter and he has already replied with Amazing. some suggestions. <laughs> so he says, hey, chaps, some more contemporary titles would include Calho Naho. Mohabatin, um, my name is Khan. Very current affairs, apparently, uh, and an excellent parody slash remake Bollywood style. Doom, that's D H O O M. A weird mashup of Ocean's Eleven meets The Fast and Furious. That sounds great. So, I mean, we're going to check out at least one or two of those. I mean, we're not doing what we've been watching, but there's no reason why we can't just put in a bonus film segment on this because we want to. Yeah. So, we'll look out for those. And listeners, if you've heard of any of those films, then let us know your thoughts, and we can have like a really cool. Dialogue. Thought dialogue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Bollywood dialogue. Uh, he says, also, how do you guys feel about Asian cinema, specifically about the Ghost in the Shell casting? I think we've already talked about this. We have already ca- talked about it. It's interesting that it's still going on, though, and it seems to be the story that is kind of hooked into this film more than other films as well. Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of feel sorry for it. I think we kind of covered the fact that basically Scarlett Hansen's not in it. Basically, the film doesn't get made. That's the key thing, and that's what Max Landis, the screenwriter, was talking about in a much sort of touted about YouTube video. Uh, but, Cal, I think we both say we, we love Asian cinema. I'm a big fan of Akira Kurosawa, and I love some Japanese uh, movies as well. Korean films, we've both seen quite a few. I've got a couple st- stored up on my little movie box there, Phil. One called Poetry. Have you come across this? No. So, we, yeah, we're really fascinated by them, but I think when you've got a whole, literally like a whole other world or nation of cinema to view, it can be quite hard to narrow it down. So we I mean, are always open to suggestions. This is when you need good curators who bring these projects over to make them uh, into a Western audience or whatever. That's such yeah. a useful thing to do. I mean, things, things like Studio Ghibli, it wouldn't really happen for the rest of the world unless somebody said, Which is this Harvey is Weinstein, isn't it? Yeah, Harvey Weinstein. It was Disney as well was involved, John Lasseter. So... It's, yeah, we need suggestions, basically. Let's cultivate our own curators from yeah, uh, exactly. Super Valley Bros listeners. That would be amazing. Let us know, listeners. I especially love to do that. I, I did review The Mermaid, that Chinese blockbusting film, 
on what we've been watching and that was a truly extraordinary experience so i'm game for more okay well thanks very much cal good food for thought get in touch listeners uh, he had another little thought as well which i have to add and it came with a lovely image that says ha 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 he says plus one to laurie for the cringe inducing xander cage character 10 uses of the word man in 106 seconds that was great i enjoyed that well i hope when he says cringe inducing <laughs> he means that in a positive way he does add woo turn up the heat my brother but he cried laughing at his desk at work well that's good thing then i'm taking that as a positive <laughs> as a positive you gave me plus one no one got to see the intense nervousness and hysteria on my face while i was doing that yeah listeners i got to see i got to see the sweat <laughs> pouring down on his face <laughs> as he tried desperately to put in the enthusiasm it's great it was quite a nerve-wracking experience i'm glad we did it though phil because uh and if actually i was going to use this phrase later in my mystery segment but i was saying it to myself this is the kind of life i lead in an embarrassing <laughs> way i was saying this to myself walking home today said unless you uh innovating you're stagnating oh gosh <laughs> Do you like it no i use that on my next marketing seminar not uh right Nicholas has gone in touch with loads of Super Bailey rewards categories. You ready for Fantastic. this? Fantastic. Are we going to read them out now or are we going to keep them to ourselves oh, for the show? Oh, maybe we should do that. In that case, Can well, you give me one or two? Yeah, he says, best video game movie, for example. Ooh. Hashtag most confusing title. Ooh. Hashtag best sentient object. Ooh. It's a goldmine. <laughs> this is great. I love it. <laughs> I'm loving all of these. Well, let me uh, put the other stuff that he mentioned in as well and we'll save the rest of those rewards for later, Nicholas. He says, hashtag Oscar predictions, maybe too bold a statement, but La La Land will win it all except sound mixing, cinematography and screenplay. I mean, I agree with all three of those for sure, but I don't think it should win best actor or actress either, Nicholas. Ooh, I don't know, man. It's the thing which is really tricky about the Oscars is you feel like it's the ultimate universal United Nations of films vote for the best film. But it's not. It's these random group of people in LA who are part of this unique little club and they're all over 50 and they're all white men so what film appeals to 50 I know, year I know, old I white know. men and that's the sort of thing which is difficult to really gauge well let's not be too cynical about it I'm not, not, I don't yeah. mean that in a cynical way I mean in, in terms of it's easy to forget that this is a very select group of people voting and it's hard to predict which way they're going to go when you consider that it does sometimes baffle me that the Oscars is the premier awards in the year because it's so exclusive but I guess it's industry people as well isn't it oh uh, yeah these are guys who have there's all we went through this with all the criteria that you have to be to be an academy member and be able to put your ballot in or whatever it is it, it's just an oddity that it is the thing it is true story I think he carries on best animation Zootopia yep. Agree, I think don't we or you did certainly supporting I can't remember how to pronounce this guy's first name but he puts M. Ali which is the guy in Moonlight I think the leader yeah he's the, he's the actor who's appeared in Hunger Games and also in House of Cards oh there we go uh, yeah, he's a he's a talented guy. I think he's been on the up and up, so it doesn't surprise me that he's getting the attention. Michelle Williams uh, for Manchester by the Sea. That would be short film Piper. That's the little thing from um, what was that? Zootopia, wasn't it? The, the thing which you absolutely destroyed. I didn't like it. That very was the, much, no. the before the Pixar film, wasn't it? Yeah, one of the Pixar films. I thought it was pretty bland. Animation was good. That's it. Visual effects, not strange. Uh, we won't do any more of those just now, Nicholas. We'll come back to that in our Oscars extravaganza when it appears. And let's move on instead to Elliot, who got in touch. And now, Elliot, I'm not sure how much of your email we can say, and I'm wondering whether we should include it towards the end of this episode, Phil, because he has given us an email that includes spoilers for Split, which is the one Benedict reviewed last week. Oh, well, I mean, do we want to maybe save it for next time Benedict's on and so we can get his thoughts on it? Well, Elliot, just, yeah, and we're just not totally sure what to do about it because everything he said is to do with spoilers and he's seen it and wants to agree in some ways and disagree in other ways. And let me just read out the things that are non-spoiler based and then maybe we'll come back to this, Elliot. We'd like to, it's good insight. He says, just listening to Benedict's review of Split, which I went to see earlier on in the week, and in many ways I agree with him. McAvoy's performance is great and interesting to watch. 
But for me, the film falls a bit flat as it builds to its resolution. I appreciate it at the time of recording you haven't seen the film, so spoiler warning for the rest of this email, stop! That's as far as we can go. But watch this space, because yes. next time Benedict's on, we will go... We'll keep it as a little thing at the end of the, the show, and we'll do a little spoiler mini section on Split and get Benedict's thoughts on Elliot's email. There we but go. thank you very much, Elliot, for emailing in. Yes. Uh, at Steve Betty Rose from Stephen, sounds like my thoughts on trilogies might have just been your thoughts. Email back to you. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that was the case. I think we made an over-the-top point about fighting for whose idea was the best, didn't we? Yeah, I was just trying to claim some dignity from that section. That Which was a poor was segment. undeserved, of course. But <laughs> no, no, always... <laughs> You're so mean. We love it when people agree with us more than anything else. So there you go. Uh, we've already had uh, Mr. Khan's thoughts on Sing read out. Let me add the little PPS he included, which is on Hacksaw Ridge. He says, a big contrast. Plus one to Laurie for the first two thirds, which is what I gave to Mel Gibson, ironically enough, for the first two thirds. Minus one to Laurie for the last third. Well, I've seen Hacksaw Ridge, and mm. I disagreed with you in that same way. So really, do I get the plus one? Well, shall I read out what Mr. Khan says, and then you can tell me your thoughts? Not sure where you made the division, but if you mean the parts with Doss at the centre of the action, I felt the slow realisation of what he actually had managed was in some ways the strength of the film. And Mr. Khan, you'll know that I've edited out a part of that sentence to avoid spoilers for other people listening. He acted out of a depth of conviction rather than out of contrariness or machismo, not... Mm, I can't read that bit either. <laughs> the impression was then confirmed by another thing that I can't say, which occurs <laughs> right at the end. Phil will know what I'm talking about, though. So do you want to say your stuff without spoiling anything? I agreed with you in lots of ways with your review about Hacksaw Ridge. I disagreed with you on a couple of things. I think Vince Vaughn isn't very good, and he doesn't look like he should be there. He looks overweight and a bit old, and I feel sorry for the guy, but... I didn't really like his performance. One thing that's interesting about that is, you know, Mel Gibson and um, Vince Vaughn have just been named to act together. They're going to be a duo in a kind of crime drama fairly soon. Oh, I, that's I, interesting. I do slightly wonder whether this casting might have had something to do with that or vice Ooh. versa. But I uh, disagree with you. I quite like Vince Vaughn. Not for me. And I think, actually, I enjoyed the last little section of the film, the last third. But I do kind of agree with you as well. I think it's sort of, I'm in between these two points, Mr. Khan's and yours. It definitely is playing into the legend around this person yeah but in some ways i quite liked that and in some ways i think it could have just been slightly tweaked and it would have completely changed a lot i think it's a lot down to the direction well that's exactly what i said i think if it had been dealt with more subtly it would have been more powerful but as it is he teeters over the edge and falls right into melodrama Mm, i disagree about that that last little conclusion but i think axel ridge is a great film a a minus is very appropriate grade one thing i do want to say which i didn't think you said Uh i loved the fact that it had this sort of old school gloss to it it felt like a movie from like the 90s or like early 2000s and i loved that i especially in the opening scenes you mean yeah it was such a weird feeling i felt like i was watching a film that was was ages years and years old and i loved it for that it was very sort of quaint and wide-eyed wasn't it i tried to say something like that but my apologies if that i think particularly the lighting was just different from a lot of movies i've seen this year and i really liked it yeah. but yeah so i'm gonna I, well, here's what i'm gonna do laurie i'm gonna take a plus one because i think <laughs> I, I think you. i got it bang on with what mr khan said but i'm gonna give you a plus one because i do agree with what you said none of that makes any sense but i'll tell it means take a i plus get one from my you. school goes up so it looks less embarrassing <laughs> well interesting you point this out phil because esther has something to say to you about your comments on Hacksaw Ridge last week. She says at Superbelly Bros in quotes, it's intense isn't it? War? 
<laughs> Phil <laughs> telling it as it is. <laughs> we should make a little collection of quotes like that. <laughs> Phil talks about life, man. Uh, well, he's the guru that you. I realise it's stupid as soon as I said it, but sometimes you just. I'm just stream of consciousness. It's good stuff, man. It's good stuff. And to finish off here, listeners, an email from Confucius who says it's been a while. Dear Super Baby Bros, having watched La La Land and Whiplash side by side. I'm willing to risk it by saying I agree with you guys on your view of Ryan Gosling, which I guess means shouldn't win the best acting, wasn't that great a singer or dancer in the film. But I do think Ryan Gosling is a great actor. Oh, I agree, no doubt. I mean, it's a good performance. I just don't think it's Oscar-worthy. I think I know exactly what went wrong with your experience with La La Land. And now, Confucius, I'm reading this out because you made quite a big error here. He says, the particular cinema where you went in Oxford needs to sort out their sound system, particularly their mid to low frequency. When I watched Les Mis back there, I had difficulties hearing. So obviously he knows the cinema. Except you got it wrong, Confucius, because Phil and I saw it at the West End. We saw it in uh, View, wasn't it? Or was no, it you keep on making that mistake. They're very similar. We saw it at we went Odin. to Leicester Square. Odin in Leicester Square. We went to Leicester Square. We saw it at like... Which uh, is where they do like premieres and stuff. So <laughs> that wasn't the reason. And I've seen it since and I had the same problems. I think sound mixing is not good. I'm amazed it got nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, it doesn't make sense the, to me. The lyrics just blend into the music and get overwhelmed. Well, he then adds, Ryan Gosling really needs to pronounce properly. When you sing, you've got to end each word with clarity, often with a little exaggeration in order for people to hear the word properly. Emma was way better. Emma Stone, that is, was way better at doing that. You could hear her diction better but i actually think ryan gosling managed to get away better with the fact that he couldn't sing because it was more in tune with well, his character and he's kind of got form with his mickey mouse club thing what was it called again is that what it is called? it is mickey mouse club i'm not yeah. sure if it was dancing and singing i think i'm sure he would have had to do some singing we're out of our depth here man yeah it's true <laughs> He's actually sort of given an odd typed example here, which I quite like, Phil, because he says the lines, this is an example of Ryan Gosling's diction, or lack thereof, and not a spark in sight, sounds Shakespearean, what a waste of a lovely night, sounded like, and not a spar in sigh, what a waste of a lovely night. <laughs> so there you go. He sounded like you were in the Oliver Wist. Oliver Wist, yeah. Oh, please, sir. Yeah, right, okay. <laughs> I wonder how that sounds to listeners. I also went and saw Hacksaw Ridge and I walked out of the cinema with this thought. Was it actually that easy to get a beautiful wife back in the day? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> The wooing technique that Andrew Garfield pursues is rubbish. It's not going to work. There's no <laughs> way that works. That. Your limited stairs, options, it? Yeah. the limited <laughs> options you have probably did mean it was easier to get a beautiful wife, but you had to find a beautiful wife. Well, he that was the challenge. Kiss on the first day, asking for a hand in marriage on the second day. I think you're slightly missing the timescale involved there, Confucius. <laughs> and there was war going on as well. There was war. But Teresa Palmer, was it? Yeah. She is enchanting. Yeah, she's fantastic. Very piercing eyes, I thought. Uh, as quite usual, striking, I'd say. <laughs> you're using our dad's word there. Uh, lots of love for your most faithful fan, the wise man from the East, Confucius. And he's given us some bro awards category, bro awards categories. Fantastic. We shall deal with it later. Okay, listeners, thank you so much. That's a wealth of emails we got. Thank you. That's wonderful stuff. Brilliant. And it's really great to hear some thoughts on La La Land, Hacksaw Ridge. Do email in if you've got thoughts on Sing, if you think I've got it completely wrong. If you've got thoughts on whatever that film was. Tony Erdman and Gold, yeah. (laughs) And also Gold. But it'd be great to hear other people's opinions, especially on the Oscar films. We've got more Oscar films coming up. Fences, Moonlight, so Mm. watch this space. Okay, superbellybros at gmail.com, at superbellybros on Twitter. Get in touch. Thanks. End of episode two, no, season two, episode ten. Ten!
again. Yeah, no, we're not doing that again. Oh. I never get to do the fun. I bits. felt kind of jolly during this episode, Phil. I feel we turned a corner somehow. Jolly Laurie. Johnny Laurie. It's been. We just done so many films recently. It's been hard to keep up. I feel like maybe it's starting to slow down a little bit. It was quite nice doing three movies, and it's quite nice to be able to kind of spend a bit of time on them and not feel like oh we've got to get to the next thing, get to the next thing. Yeah. Even though our other reviews are super long. That's true. Well, listeners, hope you enjoyed that. Do let us know your thoughts on Gold and Tony Erdman and Sing. We'll try and catch up with T2 Train Spotting. Denial if I can get to screening and a bunch of other films as well. But other than that, we'll look forward to uh, speaking to you again next week. Keep in touch with your rewards categories. We'd love to hear some more. Yes, yes, do, 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 do. And as always, check out patreon.com slash Bros. Anything I've missed, Phil? Just a thank you as well to all those people who do support us on Patreon. It's super, it's great, we love it, and we really appreciate it. And yeah, thanks. And everyone who emails in with whatever random thoughts come into their head. Superbellybros at gmail.com at superbellybros. Keep them coming. And we'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. So I've got like two bonuses. One of them I don't feel like is long enough for a bonus, even though a bonus is meant to be like a minute long or something like that. But do you want to hear that one first and then you can just go with it? Yeah, I mean, you added a lot of length by asking that question. <laughs> Why is it called a piggyback? That's a really good question, Phil. Is it inappropriate? I hope not. I know why you say that. But I realise Are you referring life, to the making bacon posture of that game? Uh, what was that game called again? Past, Past the, the Pigs. pigs. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, well, I don't know. Is that what it is? Is that... Why is it, how has it become the universal thing? It's a very good point. I, I don't really know how to hypothesize. Is it known among pigs to uh, ride on top of each other's backs? <laughs> Who knows? Anyway, Let's not go any that's, further. That's, well, it's a very brief short. The other thing I wanted to talk about was... Have you ever gone on, like, fan forums for TV shows? Sometimes. Not often, Phil. It has to be said, because I think I know what to expect. It's rage-inducing. I don't know why I went on this forum and I just got my blood boiled. That's the internet, man. I I went on a friend's forum and it was like, who's your least favourite character? And then it was like reading all these people taking these people... As if they were real people. So they're like, oh, Ross is so selfish. He's just mean. He doesn't care about his friends. And, and I was like, what are you talking about? What? <laughs> I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. They're not real people. They've but, not and actually yet, hurt. Well, when I say to you that Phoebe's the worst friend, I mean, she is the worst. Then everyone, you'll agree every, with me. Everyone knows that. Everyone she's knows a real Phoebe's person. The worst. <laughs> because but, she's really self-absorbed. And, and this yeah. is the thing. As I was reading it, I was thinking, no, that's not... Oh, these guys, need, they need to just calm down. And then somebody was saying, oh, Phoebe's the best. She's so funny. And, quite, and I was like, no. 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 Did you get out your keyboard and write a very angry response back? I nearly did no. in fact I wrote something and then I did that thing where you write something and you're like actually no and that's just delete su- it that's such a good life tip always write down the angry thing you're thinking of saying and almost always by the time you put in that last full stop you think oh, I'm not going to say well that. no then you start reviewing and because you don't want to make a spelling mistake on any angry post because then they'll just get you for that mm. and then when you read it back you're like this isn't worth why it why have I done that anyway I realise I just made a bonus about myself. That's very good. You know, but Phil, I think anyone would tell you stay away from discussing anything at all on the internet ever, about anything ever. It's very little, it's not very productive, is it? People are not interested in learning. They just want to put their view across, exactly as you said, in the most eloquent and precise way possible, so they can shut everyone down. Everyone wants to do that mic drop thing. Uh, The mic drop? You know the mic drop? You know the mic drop? What the flip are you talking about? It's a mic drop. Isn't it a mic drop? (laughs) What are you talking about? It's a mic drop. Is it spelled M-I-C? You dropped the mic. No, I understand you, you dropped serious? the mic. No, a I mic know, drop. I know what it is. I just thought it was called a mic it's drop. It's not called a mic drop. <laughs> I don't know why. You're a smart man, Laurie. What are you talking about? I don't know. I think that's maybe I read it described as that. <laughs> I'm an older man than I appear, Phil. It's the father problem. It's a mic drop. <laughs> you, are you an idiot? Uh, yeah. Drop. Sorry, I always forget. In my head, I do it in my head. Don't put this in.
<laughs> well, I'll put it at the end, won't I? Of course. <laughs> McAvoy's performance. Really high production. Hold on, please. Go, come on, hold on, hold on. Here we go. Ready? Mumbo Jumbo. 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 <laughs> jumbo. Mumbo Jumbo. Give me the Jumbo. Come on, man. <laughs> jumbo, Jumbo, Jumbo. 